0: Welcome back to Bootability, a weekly interview series about the amazing ability we all have to change our lives and the world if we're brave enough to tap into it. I'm your host, Jihee Jolly. Today we're talking about what inner transformation or human revolution through a consistent practice of chanting nam myoho kyo looks like. Our guest is Judy of Oakland, California, a writer and lecturer who shares her incredible journey of many decades practicing Buddhism and how it helped her become a person who takes great care of herself and others. I'll let Judy share the rest.
1: My name is Judy Juanita. I'm in Oakland, California, and I am full-time a lecturer at the University of California at Berkeley, and I'm also a writer.
0: Amazing. I'm excited to to talk a little bit about your career, but um, also your life and your Buddhist practice. So um, thank you for taking the time to to share your story. So for Buddhability, we always like to start every episode with hearing a little bit of the story of how somebody encountered Buddhism and why they decided to start chanting. Um, So if you could tell me briefly, you know, when you first encountered Buddhism, what was sort of going on in your life at the time? And why were you interested in starting to chant Nam-myoho-renge-kyo?
1: When I was in my 20s, I was in a very... um, bad uh marriage and uh I was suffering very badly. I remember standing in a bedroom of my apartment and calling out to the universe and saying, why is this happening? There there must be a better way, you know. So um in that general framework of going through um, um, the end of a marriage and going through a tumultuous divorce, then I encountered someone who told me about chanting. And um, and then I encountered, I-, I chanted after she told me about it and I uh, immediately, quote, received um, an incredible benefit of a trip to Egypt, to Paris and Egypt, and um, and when I and I chanted all through the whole process of of getting the uh, the passport, you know, making the arrangements, and so forth, and had a wonderful trip with friends who were living in Cairo. So when I came home, I discarded chanting. I had been chanting about half an hour a day, half an hour to an hour a day before that. I discarded it because I thought it was just a good luck charm. And, um, (laughs) yeah, soon enough, I needed it, you know, and, uh, and I utilized it to go through the formal divorce process and step after step, all kinds of benefits occurred so that I was able to actually complete that process. Still, again, wasn't convinced. And finally, a friend, um, a new friend, um, kept badgering me to get to meetings. And I, refused to go to the meetings and um you know but finally I did go to a meeting and it was so funny because somebody thumped me on my shoulder and I turned around and it was my one of my good friends boyfriend who is a a noted attorney and he's still practicing today and he's he he, said what are you doing here and he said what are you doing here you know (laughs) we were both there for the same reason and and then he and I got into a nice, friendly race to get our sign So that's how I started chanting, you know, um, with uh, kind of repeated knocks on the head with the hammer of life, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Also, like, I feel like it's so real that, you know, to actually be convinced of the power of chanting as this as this like internal transformation tool, it takes much more time than, oh, this is cool. Things are moving, you know, um, on um, externally. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious, like, when did you start to feel like there's more to this or I really, I want to commit to this, you know, as a consistent daily practice?
1: Well, I, during this whole period, I had been, um, I made a huge decision to quit my job as a reporter at a daily newspaper, and that left me um, without any money. Mm -hmm. So as I began chanting for money, for rent money, phone money, I began to understand that there was something wrong with my choices in life, and that especially when uh, oh, this is what it was, I, I went to a meeting and to uh in the Buddhist community and at the end of the meeting, one of the friend one of my friends there said, um, to chant for my ex-husband and I said, <laughs> "I can't. I hate him." And she said, "Oh, that's all right. chant to be able to chant for him." For his happiness. You know, yeah. she said she had said chant for his happiness. And I said, Oh, okay, I can do that. And in chanting for to be able to chant for his happiness, I had a dream. And the dream was that he, it was a death dream, and it was a dream that he was going to die. And um at that point, I I felt very bad. I mean, this was a man that I had loved very much, and um, and we have a beautiful child together. So I began chanting in earnest for him. well, within um, a few months, we were living in New Jersey at that time We're both natives of California. He moved back to California. and the instant I heard that he had returned to California, I I realized instantly at that moment, I can't blame anything in my life on him anymore. It's all on me. Hmm. And from that moment, I took total responsibility for my life. So that meant that I, I changed my internal, um, headset mindset at that point. I, so I began chanting differently because everything was not about I was hurt. I was this. I was this. It was like, ah, now what are we going to do today? And what mm-hmm. are we going to do this week? And what is our goal now? So everything changed at that point. Is that, does that kind of answer it how something internally changed? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, I, I feel like you're already alluding to, um, the kind of theme i wanted to unpack today so this is great um and i I have so many more questions um because you know when we spoke prior to this interview and i was thinking about this episode um because you've had so many uh, i think you had said like you've climbed so many mountains in your life using your buddhist practice it's such an amazing opportunity to um kind of through those experiences for us to learn like how it works, like what is this kind of internal transformation that we can go through when we're consistent about Buddhist practice over a long period of time. And I feel like you've already already begun to to touch on it by sharing this idea of like taking full responsibility because we hear about it all the time in Buddhist meetings, Buddhist community. Yeah. We have to take full responsibility, but to like really understand what that means and what that looks like is unique for every single person. Um so I'm, I'm curious, uh, maybe we can just sort of start with like the, the big picture. Um, I understand that you've experienced a shift in which um, you share that, you know, you learn to really become considerate of yourself and others um, kind of over a number of experiences. So maybe we could start with like what the struggle initially was. So like prior to really undergoing this transformation, what was going on internally or what were the tendencies that you discovered or struggled with that you know eventually transformed
1: i was careless i was a careless person um not intentionally but i was careless because i was mo- always moving fast i was always full of energy full of vitality and and i'm a extremely curious person so i was always doing all these different things well when I first started chanting, um, before I got the our scroll called Gohanzan, I, I was driving a car with faulty brakes, which was not unusual for me. I didn't take a lot of care with cars. And I came, I thought I came to a stop at a, at a, you know, at an intersection. And an old man walked past me and he never even saw that, you know, that my car was kind of sliding towards him. He was focusing on on his walk. And I floored the brake. I floored it and it didn't stop. And then finally it came to a stop. And of course, he had by then crossed the street, but it scared the life out of me and it scared me. And I'm, I'm chanting in the morning every morning, it scared me into taking my car into my mechanic and my mechanic this time wouldn't let me um, um, go without doing a thorough job. And that job at the time cost $800, which I didn't have. Mm-hmm. So that's to show you how broke I was at the time. I didn't get that car back for two years um, because I, I it took me that long to get up that money to pay him and he was a very honorable man this mechanic and I kept saying even after I got a credit card I said I want to put it on credit he said no you have to pay me cash you know and Frank I remember him Frank is a great Italian American guy in New Jersey but what being without a car for the first two years of my practice um it gave me um opportunity to and trying to get $800 and seeing how hard it was for me to get that money. It, I reflected over and over on my carelessness because I put the car in the shop. I did it. It was an intentional act. I'm not going to put anybody else's life in jeopardy. So what it did, it helped me to, to, to look at how many times I had been careless, but,
0: hmm.
1: but then what happened is I got the gohan um you know the scroll and i put it up in my own house and i was very happy and i introduced my very best friend to the practice who was chanting to this day in new york city and we're still best of friends i just saw her a couple of weeks ago in new york city and we went roller skating in a park in uh, washington in in washington heights um and and she said at one point, Judy, don't go down that hill. It's um, too steep. And I didn't pay any attention to her. I said, it's not too steep. And as soon as I started going down the hill, uh, I I froze mentally because mm-hmm. I realized it was too steep. And, um, and I ended up crashing at the bottom of the hill. And I thought my hand had flown off because I just saw my arm go haywire.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: My friend at the top of the hill said, Judy, just wait. I'm coming down as soon as I untie my skates. And in that instant, I realized there are not two fools in this park. There's only one. And again, it was that moment. This is two weeks into getting my own Zan. And I had taken her to an introductory meeting that day and helped her set up her own own altar. She didn't have the scroll yet. But I mean, so in other words, I had done tremendous um, introduction of another person. Brought it all out. You know, all of this came out. And it was very good for me. Um, I was in surgery um, uh, for all night long. I was uh, at, and she directed, when we got in the car, my benefit, she directed the cab driver away from some smaller hospital. She said, Take her to Columbia Presbyterian. And there I got the finest of doctors at no charge. They operated on me that night. I was in uh um i was in the hospital for 2 weeks and i was in therapy for uh 7 to 8 months because i could not lift my my left arm at first um so i was chanting with one hand you know and i'm your angel so people who are who go through serious Ill- so serious accidents know that there's a great deal of pain afterwards mm-hmm. so you it's very hard to sleep so because I really couldn't sleep well, I would just wake up at 2 a.m. at night and get in front of my scroll, the Gohanzan, and chant for two, three, four hours until it was time to wake my son up and get him ready for school. Wow. So I started off my practice chanting hours and hours of nam myo kyo and it was a wonderful, wonderful thing. I chanted, I studied, I really learned a lot about this Buddhism through that experience. And, um, and it's very funny. Um, the doctor, when I, I never have regretted that experience. And when I went into the, to the hospital to be, you know, when they, when the ambulance dropped me off, the the doctor said two things. He said, um, he said, you've been here before. A- and he meant I'd been to the, to the orthopedic. He said, because he said, very athletic, very active people keep breaking bones and, you know, and they're, they're repeat offenders.
0: Um, I, I'm curious, you know, like what you're touching on or this like um, awareness of, of not being careful or, or living in this kind of careless way. Um, is that something that you knew already? Like you, you uh, had already observed that in yourself and maybe attributed like various sufferings to that or is this hindsight that you realized in because it's like really hard to see yourself and i buddhism does help you see yourself clearly for sure but i'm I'm just thinking like from the perspective of someone who's new to the practice um was that like it seems like it, it must have been hard to take that kind of responsibility or to like come to that kind of awareness and i'm just curious if there was like an aha moment where you're like this is this is something i have to change this is not working you know
1: yeah, I, I I was just reckless, and and I I thought I was lucky, um, you know I knew, you know I mean I have traveled in a car as a teenager going hundred miles an hour, um, you know I've just done reckless things, you know in my um youth, you know um uh, I got had run-ins with the law. I was i was very active i was an activist in the black power movement was was a black panther no i i knew all these things first of all i thought because i thought i was so smart um i didn't pay attention to the law of averages you know i didn't mm-hmm. i thought the odds were always in my favor okay mm-hmm. because they have been You know, until I reached that rough patch in my life where the marriage didn't work out. Um, the job, I left a job, you know, all of a sudden I was high and dry in life. So Mm -hmm. up to that point, I just thought of it as a feature of my personality. And and I was the life of the party. I was the person who told the biggest, the funniest jokes, you know, so it was. It made me interesting. And because I fought against being, quote, a nerd in an, in our day, we didn't call it a nerd. Um, you call, they, they called you four eyes if you wore glasses, you know. <laughs> and four eyes meant, you know, you were a nerd, you know. And even at a family dinner one time over the past couple of decades, my brother said, Judy was our Urkel. I don't know if you remember Urkel from TV, you know you know and i said well at least i turned into steve you know meaning i did get some suave, <laughs> you know some swag to myself but yeah i was fighting against being that smart person being that mm-hmm. overly smart person when as a teenager being smart is not envied you know mm-hmm. so so yeah it took it took a while for me to grow up this was growing up this is about growing up and being responsible.
0: Mm. yeah, yeah, I completely understand. Um, yeah. and and you know, a lot of times, um people who are like new to the practice, a common question that we get is, but like, how does chanting Namiho and Gikyo actually work? And of course, you know, once you practice for a while and you know, you hear it in in the like Buddhist meetings and in intro meetings all the time, it unlocks your own wisdom, your own courage, your own compassion that you're already endowed with, and then you take action using those resources. Um, so it sounds like you you were able to unlock a lot of wisdom <laughs> after you I, started chanting. Yes,
1: I was operating without wisdom before then. I was operating purely on um, intelligence and um, intuition and sheer gut energy. Not enough.
0: Yeah, I hear you. I think we all have our version of that, whatever it might be. (laughs) Um, You know, life sort of has to wake you up and then you have to you have to be able to tap into the best parts of yourself. Um, So so I'm curious, just I'm just thinking of like this time period, then after you have this accident and you're like chanting so much. And yet, you know, the, it sounds like the conditions, um, around you starting, there was a lot of things to transform, um, financial, I'm sure career, so many things. Um, so like, did it, you experience any shifts, like after this period of like recovering from the accident and chanting? like, you know, what sort of shifted for you internally or did anything kind of open up from that experience? Cause I, I imagine things must've started to change.
1: Yes. I had um, been uh, very prone to smacking my son who was then nine years old. Just, didn't I tell you not to do that, you know? And that's all part of that impulsive, not thinking nature. And also, um, I I got into therapy, but my therapist said having witnessed um, um, physical um, um, punishment as a child even though I wasn't the one who got the whoopings because I was the smarty, I was the good girl. Um, uh, but I witnessed it. And so under pressure, this tumultuous period post-divorce, then I resorted to that. Well, that little boy whom I adored, whom I loved and adored to this day, that little boy looked up at me after I'd been chanting for several months, and he said, I'm tired of you slapping me around. And that was another one of those moments. Mm -hmm. It was a moment when it was the universe, just just a huge light bulb, not a little light bulb, a huge light bulb, just went click. Mm -hmm. Something's wrong with you, Judy. Change this. And there were a couple of other things going on, but I was in therapy uh, within a few days after that. Um, and I found a clinic around, I'm very resourceful. I found the clinic um, um, actually two blocks away from me that was $5 a week. And I stayed in therapy. I'm chanting, I'm chanting. Um, stayed in therapy for two and a half years. And mm-hmm. we tackled issues in my life one by one. And the thing that that taught me um, uh, about Buddhism, about this Buddhism, is um, it's so resourceful. Um, it allows you to, to handle your res- resources whichever way you need to. It's, you don't have to deny Western medicine or what have you. So, um, so working with and her name was Anne. I remember her very well. And working with Anne for two and a half years. Whoa helped me unpack so much. And and I changed my style of parenting immediately, worked on it, and I have apologized to my son many, many times, particularly whenever he reaches a juncture in life. And he comes to me and I tell him, I give him guidance, but I also apologize for that period in my life when he suffered physical abuse at my hands and mm-hmm. i apologized to him and he says oh mom you know it's, it's all right i mean he was a rambunctious kid and he was full of energy and always getting into stuff but um when he had his kid you know i had to have very serious talks with him do not touch him that way he doesn't need it he needs talking to you know and even one time his kid i'm sure this goes off but off the topic but but i was i spent a lot of time with my grandson so i was accompanying his his class up to a field trip up to uc berkeley and my grandson kept cutting up and he was a cut up and so when i got home i told my son about it and he said well mom why didn't you just twist his ear because that's how i used to disappoint him i would grab his ear and i'd say oh, what 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 You know, and I I said to him, I can't do that. I, you know, and so so thankfully all of that just went out, you know, went Mm -hmm. out of me. I just, you know, this Buddhism really changed me.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's, it's so incredible. And, you know, it strikes me just hearing you say this, um, One thing that I think, especially young people, maybe everybody, but at least, like, you know, speaking as a young person, when you start to see things about yourself that are hard to see, you know, like, hey, this... Like I really have to transform this tendency. This is not okay. Right. Um it can like really like your your confidence and your self-worth can like really take a hit. And I think that's a big reason people don't want to see those things, you know? But just hearing you like so joyfully share <laughs> that you saw them and then you just conquered them one after another. Um, I, I'm curious, like, was there any internal struggle in, you know, being willing to do that? Cause it, it's heavens, cause, yes. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Heavens
1: heavens, yes. However, I had another artistic medium, my poetry and my writing, which helped me um, uh, and, and, and was very therapeutic for getting out a lot of those feelings. So I have um, um, a, a well-known poem called Mama Love You, Yep or Do, and it's about a mother, myself who loves this child but hits this child hits this child over and over again and um and it's very touching when i read it um and it touches a lot of people you know so i was able yes i was able to get in front of michael hanzon i was able to to kind of have a distance from from how i had reaction like oh my gosh You know, I've been a terrible person. Oh my gosh, I put people's lives in jeopardy. Oh my gosh, I did this, I did that, I made bad decisions. But I was, first of all, I always came to the meetings because I loved the meetings and I always stayed afterwards. I also made so many friends and heard so many heart-to-heart experiences that helped me understand that how human it is to err. How human mm. it is to have faults. And then I had um, incredible friends um, who could call me, uh, you know, call me on stuff. When I say call me, I mean, they could read me out and say, hey, you know, no, this, this is not right, Judy. And And then I had the artistic medium. So I was working it out in many, many ways. Mm. Every day, every day every day and one of the principles of buddhism that i love absolutely is um live each day as if it's your last day live each day as if it's a lifetime and i've done that for for probably 95 percent of my practice i've been very conscious for one reason or another of death being close you know i've had people close to me die So death has always been, um, the four sufferings have always been very close to me since I started practicing and my awareness of them, um, has increased, um, tremendously. I really, I really thought death was over there, you know, um, until I started practicing and then it, it was up close and personal.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's incredible perspective. Um, and for anybody who's listening, who's new, the the four sufferings are birth, aging, sickness and death, and they are inescapable for every single human being, no matter how much money you make or don't make, no matter what cards you're dealt. If you're human, those four things are going to cause suffering at some point in your life. So Buddhism is really about, um, you know, conquering the suffering associated to those based on the way you live your life, I guess. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, what incredible perspective. Thank you for, for sharing that. And, um, I, and and also that's like really what chanting does. Like you can't think your way into it. Your life just operates at this higher level. Ooh,
1: you hit it there, baby. You hit <laughs> it there, you know. And I am not an intellectual. And I realized that uh, when I went and got into a PhD program and and was told very nicely, get out. You know, you don't belong here <laughs> after a year and a half drew university in in new jersey it was a wonderful experience wonderful wonderful experience it's amazing i was i that was a huge benefit to get into the doctorate program there and it was just this huge benefit to get booted out after a year and a half and and i still am amazed to this day that i didn't i wasn't hurt um i real that i realized oh no i'm not a phd person i'm a I'm a writer. I'm a creative writer, you know, not a scholar. Um, So um, it was, you know, but it was one of those life lessons that I had to, that I feel, you know, you read somewhere, it says every mistake you make is good because there's, you need, you had to learn something that you had to learn for your life for it. But, um, but I needed to learn what I learned through being in that program, um, you know, because it stuck me with, with student loans for a good 10 years. And, um, and I also came out of that program with what I call PhD envy, because for about that 10 year period, I, I wanted, you know, I was like, Oh, you know, I didn't get my PhD, you know, and Oh boy, about after that sometime after about 10 years, I started running into and befriending and becoming very good friends with people, primarily women, but also men who had their PhDs and life had not been a bed of roses for, for any of them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know. I was actually, um, I wanted to ask about exactly that because, um, you know, uh, in addition to sort of the, the self-work and the relationships, I know that your career as a writer and now also educator um, has been influenced by your practice and, and evolved kind of alongside, um, you know, all of these other experiences. So I'm curious, you know, uh, if you could share a little bit about that journey, because at the point, if I recall correctly, at the point you started practicing, you had just left this journalism job. Yes, And you're struggling financially, but like now you're, I mean, it's been many years, but you've yes. done so many amazing things. So I, yeah. yeah,
1: I was struggling financially. I had my kid 10 years old. Um, I was living in a Jersey where I lived for 18 years and, um, I read something from Daisaku Ikeda, the president of the SGI internationally. And he said, he said, practice he said those first 2 years are very difficult to practice and he made an analogy to it's like being in a um in a tunnel like a train tunnel a railroad tunnel and it's very dark and you can't see ahead um and the the uh the light at the end of the tunnel are are the other members are in the organization kind of saying, hang in there, keep chanting. And when you come out of the tunnel, meaning after you you get this practice under your belt for a couple of years, he said, guess what? You see the mountain ahead of you. You mm-hmm. see sunlight, you know? And so that happened, happened to me and I've, I've seen it happen to many others. And I've actually tried to be that light at the end of the tunnel for many other people. So what happened at the end of two years is I submitted, for the second time, I submitted um, an application for a grant for my poetry from the New Jersey State Council on the Arts. The first time I submitted it, I was denied it after a year of practice. And I, I went down to Trenton, New Jersey. I asked, can I come in and see what the judge's comments were? And when I walked in, the uh, arts council person said nobody ever does this She said they only complain how come i didn't get the grant you know and she said you're the only one she said you drove all the way down here to see what the judges had to say and i said yes how can i get better you know unless i see what mm. what i did wrong and so the second year i won one of the grants which was wonderful it was just a thousand dollars for me at that time thousand dollars was a a whole lot of money. But um, even more important, I got in, invited to an, um, the the uh, Arts Council's yearly institute at Stockton State College. While I was there, um, I met a mentor named, uh, a poet named, a very well-known poet named Stephen Dunn and another well-known poet named Toy Derricotte. And they both um recommended that I become a poet in the schools for the New Jersey State Arts Council. So then mm. I held that job for the next 6 years and um, as as members other friends in the, in our um culture department here in the, in the in the SGI have said um teachers and people who have to deal with the public in a service capacity every day Um, get a great opportunity to see, see how strong their Buddhist practice is, because you're challenged every single day. Uh, Mm -hmm. So being a going back into the teaching field that I had left years before, going back in the teaching field was uh, incredible. And I had to uh, get up in early in the morning and chant a lot to be able to handle all these different uh, um um different strands of different human beings, different personalities, different demands every day. Mm. And it was a pretty darn good living at that time. It was a paid $125 a day, which back in the 80s was good money. I was able to get my son braces, I was able to to pay my rent, so forth. So um so I did that. So that 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 was extremely important because I had chanted to have a position or to get a job that would enhance my writing and would not take away from it. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, I got to, um, to, to teach poetry, to study poetry, to immerse myself in the world of poetry.
0: Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, it's, that's so incredible. Also there's just that, the sort of, courage or the wisdom or both to go in regarding the prize and like ask for feedback <laughs> it's amazing um i i can only imagine that they were like impressed and, and encouraged that someone would do that
1: i was hungry for it
0: yeah yeah i mean so important like for anyone in a creative field to have that kind of humility and dedication yeah. yes that's how you learn yeah 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 um so I, I understand. Then, like eventually, you did move back to the West Coast, um, and your your writing and teaching careers continued here. So, um, is there anything kind of related to that transition um, that kind of aligns with this experience that you that you would like to share about?
1: Yes, there there was tumult in my family of origin. A lovely family, um, however, my dad was a compulsive gambler. And as a child, I remember thinking often I want to move as far away from here as I possibly can
0: mm-hmm. when I
1: become an adult. And so that's what I did by moving from Oakland to New Jersey. That was as far as I could get. <laughs> so I lived in New Jersey for 18 years um, and I chanted and I changed a lot of family. Um, um, my my realizations about family. First of all, I just knew I loved them dearly. And I never was estranged from my family. I just was living in a different place. Uh, So um, my dad became very ill. um, And it was his terminal illness at that point. I went to a Buddhist lecture in in New York City. And at one point in the lecture he said, he said, he said, your family is your immutable karma, meaning lifetime after lifetime, you're gonna be born um with them in one one combination or another. You know, and definitely I knew that the the um the writings of Nietzsche and Dishonin say we've lived you know the lives we've, the bones from the lives we've lived would fill mountains. And again, the mountain is my, my, my image, my uh, icon. Uh, you know, in other words, we've all been here so many times, so and will be. You know, and I believe that. I believe that. And I was an astrologer before I was um, uh, um, a Buddhist, and I so I believed in this idea of we come in with a set of baggage. And basically he said, so so stop trying to get away from your family. Stop thinking you're you're done with them, you know. <laughs> so uh I went home, I pondered that, and I called my mother within the next day or two because I do take action quickly. And and I said, Mom, I I, I knew she needed help. And I said, Mom, I I want to come home and and help you out. And she said, "Oh, my gosh, I you know, I was praying for this. My mom's a devout Christian.' I was praying for this." And she sent me the airfare, and I went back to California basically with eight dollars in my pocket. Um, and I was just going for six weeks. I was just going for six weeks, but I brought my scroll with me. And um, and I went to a women's meeting. Um, maybe within a day or two that after I came back and a friend at the meeting suggested that I unroll my scroll and chant to it in my parents' house because it was rolled up. And I did. And it was an incredible, again, one of those instantaneous feelings when I unrolled my scroll, my Hanzan, and chanted to it. I said to myself, I can live here. I don't hate it. I can live in Oakland. And that was the start of my journey in Oakland. I was back after 18 years.
0: Wow. Oh my goodness. And you've been here since then? Ever since. Yes. Incredible. Yeah. I just, I thought, what a a beautiful sort of scene to describe because I feel like you're you're capturing something that's so hard to describe unless you've experienced it with chanting where you're just like I'm capable like I don't need the environment to to make things easy for me yes
1: yes yes because I told my mother at one point I said I'm not starting over mom I'm continuing my journey you know she kind of had all these things that she thought maybe i could do and i said ah no I said mom i know where i'm going you know in other words i was already on my path
0: yeah 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 absolutely um i so i have one question okay uh, this has been amazing so far. I'm like so encouraged just by your your attitude <laughs> about all of this. Um, but I I am curious, you know, again, because um, so many people who listen to this show are pretty new to Buddhism. And of course, as we mentioned earlier on the episode, like Buddhability, which is just another word for Buddhahood, um, is about tapping into your own wisdom and courage and compassion and enlightenment, if you will. Um, but you know, it takes practice and life experiences with Buddhism to really believe in your own Buddhahood or your own Buddha ability. So, like, through these, uh, I mean, I know we've barely scratched the surface on, on the many things you must have experienced, but through these experiences that you've mentioned, was there any sort of key turning point or like something that made you really begin to believe in your own Buddha ability? Hmm. Wow,
1: that's deep. Hmm. I, I have to say that, um, it, it was, it's all been a gradual deepening. It, it wasn't like a jumping in the pool Mm. head first. No, it was a gradual deepening. Um, but you know, I will say that i i I go to meeting. I loved the meetings, and I've gone to the meetings very regularly since I started. And um, something said to me, no matter what, just keep practicing. even if you don't understand it, Judy, keep practicing. even if you don't get it all the time. Just keep doing this. And so because I have continued to have, these incredible experiences over and over again, just, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. just incredible kinds of things, you know, and because I always share them. I think that, that my practice has deepened, but I had so many goals that I wanted to achieve because I am an ambitious person. Um, I had goals and I kept, even though some of the big goals like earning more money, um, Definitely did not happen overnight. That was definitely gradual. That did take decades, but but along the way, I saw how careless I was about money, hmm. and how that irritated many people around me. People, people whom I loved, people who loved me dearly, were very irritated. Um, my best friend, my son. My ex-husband, very irritated by my cavalier um, attitude toward money. So that has changed completely. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, there were many things that that were upside down in my life that I had to get right side up.
0: You Mm -hmm. know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it sounds like, you know, what you're sharing or what I'm hearing from what you're sharing that I really love is just this like spirit of like what's underneath that is just like karma can and should be changed while you're experiencing it in this lifetime yes
1: yes one of the books that i read over and over again is called Attaining buddhahood in this lifetime you know i would never have have attached to this philosophy if it had been it, it ain't gonna happen for several lifetimes i would have said oh bump that you know <laughs> yeah. no but you know, the, the 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 prayer that we say in the morning and the evening coming from the second and sixteenth chapters of the Lotus Sutra says everybody has the Buddha nature and you can attain this in one lifetime. Mm-hmm. That's very important to me. That's very important. That's key for me. No, I ain't sticking around for 16 lifetimes to get to get to get to an enlightened state. No.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then like, that's how you experience all of this power. Cause like, then you have the determination to change each yeah. and every
1: yeah.
0: item or piece of karma that causes suffering or every dream that also may be right. born of your karma. Um, I, I was going to ask, and I feel like you're touching on this also. Um, I always like to end the show with the same two questions. One of which is if you have a favorite Buddhist quote or concept or something that you've really held onto through your journey,
1: Yes, it's the eight wins go show. The eight wins, um, you know, a truly wise person or worthy persons will not be swayed by any of the eight winds: Prosperity, decline, praise, censure, honor, criticism, uh, you know, suffering, pleasure, you know, all of these great things and bad things. Four greats, four bads. Of course, everybody likes the good things, but you don't want to get You know you don't want to have to suffer the bad things but the rest of the quote is um a truly wise person will not be will not bend before any of the eight winds and so um i happen to have a life where the eight winds come rushing through i don't i don't have a placid life so i've needed to be able to have that steadfastness that comes from chanting to deal with the
0: winds of life the eight winds of life yeah that's a beautiful beautiful concept and quote I can I can add it into the the show notes of the episode for for anyone to read too um but yeah I feel like it kind of comes full circle because you described this like young person that moved fast and wasn't careful <laughs> but to be a person who's like steady enough to not be swayed by yeah. intense wind is like a completely different kind of posture toward life. So I love that.
1: Yeah. And even though I was careless, I was a good person and people liked me. You know, I had many good qualities. But as I said before, one vice can um, can ruin you. And mine was carelessness. And it was going to get me killed. It was going to get me killed. Driving fast, driving in cars that weren't properly mich- m- m- mechanically operating, you know, you can kill yourself or kill somebody else that way. So
0: mm.
1: it I was living very dangerously and didn't even know it.
0: Yeah, amazing. Um, so I guess I'll ask my final question, which is how we always end the show, which okay. is uh, for anybody who is listening, who might be new to Buddhism, but maybe currently are struggling to feel steady or strong in their own life, what one piece of advice would you give them?
1: I love the advice to chant for the most, the hardest problem, the most impossible situation in your life. Chant for that and mm-hmm. stick with the, get get yourself to meetings and watch and see what happens.
0: I want to leave you today with these words from Buddhist philosopher Daisaku Ikeda. He writes, Times when you are suffering intensely, when you don't know what to do or which way to turn, can be important opportunities for making great strides in your human revolution. If you tend to be easily discouraged, just refresh your determination each time that happens. People who are resolved to see problems as opportunities and keep trying again and again, forging ahead with unflagging optimism, will definitely succeed in their human revolution. Our lives as human beings are a complex fabric of many factors, our personalities, habits, karma, and family connections among them, in which we can become easily entangled and unable to free ourselves. People spend their days fussing and fretting about immediate, minor problems, and before they know it, their lives are over. Many end their lives still trapped in the cycle of the six paths, or lower six worlds, that is, the worlds of hell, hungry spirits, animals, asuras, human beings, and heavenly beings. Human revolution is a revolution in our actions and behavior. It means to purposefully engage in behavior that is grounded in compassion, in actions that break free from the cycle of the six paths and bring us to the worlds of bodhisattvas and Buddhas. When human revolution spreads to the family, the country, and the world, it becomes a noble and bloodless revolution for peace. On that note, as always, if you're new to chanting, we have plenty of resources on how to get started at Buddhability.org, as well as a free course. And if you'd like to get connected to your local Buddhist community, you can always email us at connect SGI-USA.org. That's all for today, and we'll see you next week.